back to another episode of Cherishing Scripture Podcast, a podcast where we are changing society by Cherishing Scripture. These past uh, weeks, we have been talking about the New Testament Baptist Confession, and I'm excited to see where this conversation is going to go today. Uh, but before we begin with today's subject, let's go ahead and have a little review about what we talked about last week. Yeah, we were discussing the uh, one of the major differences between us and the old guard is that we're willing to receive the questions that people have, even if they're a challenge. Uh, you know, even if someone is saying, I can't believe you believe that, give us that opportunity and we'll tell you why we believe it. Uh, and we won't accept it as a personal attack. We're willing to open our hearts and minds to questions. And Zach, you were talking about last week about the, uh, the whole concept of, uh, you know, a young person that came to you and said, you know, hey, help me understand why you behave the way you behave or dress the way that you dress and you sat down with him and just went line by line uh, through some legitimate reasons and I had a a, um, a similar experience one time there was a young man a, a great young man I mean a really really godly uh, God-fearing upright um, student of God's Word just a good a good guy and he and I were working alongside of each other once uh, at our church we were building a new building and while we were there alone, he said, Pastor, can I ask you a question? I said, of course. So he said, I, I, I want to know about this business of uh, young men not being permitted to wear shorts. And uh, immediately I knew I was in trouble because uh, that is something that uh, has been held up sort of like a red herring in independent fundamental Baptist churches. Uh, people have been insulted for dressing that way and and so he asked me this question he said and, and that was the standard in our school at the time and so he said I'm not challenging that he said I'm, I'm not angry he said I, I, I intend to do the right thing regardless of what that is he said but can I ask you a question he said in the Old Testament when men girded up their loins which means they reached down between their ankles grabbed the bottom of their robe pulled the back of it up and cinched it down into their belt that's the girding of the loins, which exposed their calves. He said, if men did that in the Old Testament when they were at war or when they were at work, what's the difference between that and a man wearing shorts today? And I had to look at him and say, you figured it out. He said, what do you mean I figured it out? I said, you figured out that some things that we are attempting to enforce today cannot be supported in Scripture. And young people, by and large, are defecting from that. That's exactly what we're talking about. Young people, by and large, are defecting because they see a, a mass of people who are just saying, look, this is what we want you to believe and drink the Kool-Aid, if you want to use that terminology. And I, I find that uh, to be becoming more and more problematic Yeah, and to, as uh, we go. To your point on that one. Uh, with that young person, when I talked to him, I also made it clear to him that the Bible does not say anything specifically about dress code. That's no. the first thing I always lay out, is the Bible doesn't say anything about dress code. As Brother Bill mentioned, it does say something about modesty. Yes. It does talk about modesty. It talks about concepts. Right. And I said, it does not say this, but this is why I do it. Yeah. And you know what? On that subject, I don't want to get bogged down on this, guys, but... On that subject, I've seen a lot of ladies in our churches that have skirts dragging the ground that have one of the most immodest attitudes, That, uh, but because they're wearing a dress, that's okay. Mm -hmm. And and I find that, again, to be 
a dangerous, dangerous position for us to be to be in. Yep, and that was our discussion last week. If you guys did miss that, you can always go back in our recent videos that we've posted, uh, and you can find it there and listen to us uh, talk about that. We had a lot of good talks. Brother Thompson talked a little bit about uh, his own experience with that. But uh, this week, uh, we are moving into a new subject, and I believe we have Nathan today. Uh, he actually brought uh, his work with just him, so now he's going to read it. So Dude, Nathan, just borrowing off of you. Yeah, he's, <laughs> no, he didn't bring his own. He's just borrowing mine. So go ahead, Nathan, read it for us. There is a new version of independent Baptist fundamentalism masquerading as old-time religion that in no way resembles what our forefathers believed or intended for fundamentalism to be. This new and radical version of fundamentalism is changing the character of our spiritual culture, and there are many who do not want it to change. If the original fundamentalists were alive today, they would not identify with this new sectarian order. There must be a spiritual cohesion and solidity that unites in neither independent that unites in the declaration that this new version of independent fundamental Baptists are neither independent nor fundamental and are barely Baptists. Our skepticism and our suspicions must serve to preserve the gospel that is being jeopardized by this sectarianism. Yep. And I got a question for you guys, I guess, right now. Just listen to him say that. You know, I've heard it said time and time again, those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it. Absolutely. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, you know, we have the history of the world. And uh, you can see how now in public schools, uh, they're really starting to manipulate what part of history they want people to remember. They're starting to emphasize or overemphasize certain things, and they're starting to underemphasize uh, certain things. But is that not the same thing that's happened in fundamental Baptist churches now? Yes. We're emphasizing certain things, but if you look back at the history, it just does not line up. No. History does not speak well to what the people today are doing. No. And that's the sad thing. No, it's a dangerous practice dangerous practice so why don't we since this is talking about you know the new order i think we've very well established what this uh new um role of fundamental baptist is and what their mindset is and how they act uh, we can talk about that a little more today but uh since we uh definitely have some uh as the bible would say the hoary head the the gray haired um since we have some wisdom in here why don't what we actually talking about uh, You're talking about well, Pastor, you don't have much hair on top, so <laughs> can't right. be much gray. So, right. no. But uh, since we do have you two here that um, are well versed and studied on this, why don't we talk about the history, the true history of the Fundamental Baptists? Yeah, Brother Thompson, when you when you came to the faith all those years ago, who who were some of the preachers that were uh, influential in your life and that you admired, even if even if they were at a distance? Who were some of those men that you uh, looked up to? Their names? Uh, <clears throat> oh, my. There there were some that probably uh, some of you may not know, but um, men that I looked up to as far as maybe I did not know them on a personal basis, I'd met them and talked to them, but I mean, as far as a having a close fellowship with them. But I watched their lives and I watched their ministries. Harold Seidler was one of them. Mm. Mine too. Um, just consistent. 
he understood there's something that he and well let me mention a few other men Harold Seidler uh, I used to love to listen to R.G. Lee uh, and, and W.A. Criswell I love to listen to him <laughs> precious gentle old man and uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers uh, and those last two men not to interrupt you but those last two men uh, not independent fundamental Baptists no, but sir. fundamentalists yes sir Yes, sir. Truly, Very much. truly fundamentalists. Truly. Although they were Southern Baptists, W.A. Criswell and Adrian Rogers were champions of the faith. They sure were. And they understood something. Early on, they understood something. When you hear their testimonies, they understood that um, God was satisfied with his son before the Lord Jesus Christ ever came to this earth God was perfectly satisfied with his son God could be no more satisfied with his son had he never created man and so the only one that could come and redeem man was the son of God so God was satisfied with his son and they understood that when we come to that understand when we come to understand that and our eyes are open then we understand that's how we're saved and so if God is pleased with his son, then when it comes to, these men understood this, when it comes, and you heard, you heard it in their preaching, their preaching, whether it was to the lost or to the saved, was, was, was Christ. God is satisfied with his son, if you're not saved, and if you're satisfied with his son and what he did for you, and you'll trust him, God will save you. Uh, they understood also that when it comes to living the Christian life, God is, he wants to conform us to the image of his son, not to the image of our, our hero right. preachers or whatever. He wants to conform us to the image of his son, and that's what he does. And when God saves a person, turns their heart to himself, that's exactly what he does. Yeah. He conforms us to his son whom he is pleased with. These men understood that. Uh, uh, W.A. Criswell, Adrian Rogers, Harold Seidler, uh, Brother Harold Venable. What a godly man. Oh, wow. Uh, what some, a, of his, some of his relatives are now in our church. That's correct. Some of his yes, descendants. Sir. Yes, sir. In fact, uh, one of them is sitting here at the table with us. Yeah. And what's, that's the truth. That's right. What, 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 was, what is amazing to me about some of these men is that uh, they walked with God. And they, one of these men in particular, went out on visitation with one of the members of his church. I think it was on Thursday night. They ever went every Thursday night. They knocked on a lady's door. Now this is the pastor with one of the men of his church. I'm going to show you the two different, the two different mindsets of thought here. Uh, a lady came to the door. She wasn't dressed right. Uh, what I say she wasn't dressed modestly. Maybe I ought to say that. Mm -hmm. She was dressed the only way she knew to dress. Uh, had a cigarette in her hand. And uh, she was very nice to the men. And uh, the pastor said, we're from such and such church. and I'm the pastor of the church. Is one of our men. We came out on visitation. Well, this man jumps right in. And he says, Sister, 
You need to get back in the house, get that cigarette out of your hand, and put some clothes on and get out of here so we can tell you about Christ. Wow. Of course, she slammed the door. Wow. When they walked off, the man said to him, he said, you know, brother, could I just give you a little constructive criticism? God never called us to put clothes on people and take cigarettes out of their hands. He, he saves us. We repent. And repentance continues in our whole life. Yeah. We're convicted and conviction continues in our God is satisfied with his son. And he's going to conform that person to him as his son. And not through a list of things that you do or don't do. That's right. All right. And so the, he puts that hunger in our heart. And these men of old understood that. And it was, it was not a... I went to two different Bible colleges and one Bible institute. And I have to tell you, at, the, at that time, there were some men I really loved. But I saw also, on the other hand, Bible colleges that literally, in fact, I'll just, I'll just say this, if you had said that you'd gone to one or two of other Bible colleges, which were well known if I said their names, uh, then pretty much those credits weren't going to count. Oh, wow. Because they were at odds with each other. Just because it was a competing college. Exactly. Exactly. And it, and it was always among these men who said that they were fundamentalists. But, but, but their idea of being a fundamentalist was different than what the idea of this person was. But those men like Harold Sackler, he was, he was not a, I don't remember him ever being uh, an ugly person. And no he, way. He was, not, he was not like that. And Brother Venable, oh my. He, some of these men, I literally, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm careful how I say this, I literally, and I know you know what I'm talking about, Pastor, when I first met these men face to face, I literally trembled. Not because I was afraid that they were going to, uh, you know, harm me in some way. It's just because of their gentleness yeah. and their love for God. And they were powerhouse preachers. Powerhouse preachers. They didn't compromise. They didn't compromise their their pulpit presence to be some kind of a uh, you know some kind of a sissy or whatever somebody else would like to call them. They were just gentlemen. Right. They were just gentlemen. You know the names that you name. Some of those kind of overlap with some of the people that I, that I um, you know admired and and had the chance to. You know, to be close to their ministry as well, and Dr. Seidler in particular, um, in 1954, wow. Dr. Seidler approached the Southern Baptist Convention and said, "No more. I'm I'm done with the with the liberal trends, with the uh, the crossing over into unscriptural methods, unscriptural means, unscriptural attitudes, and." When he put his foot down, he was blackballed. He was a graduate of Furman University in, in South Carolina. He started Tabernacle Baptist Church in Greenville, uh, and was uh, and, and today that church is a monument. Uh, there is an incredible, incredible. I mean, we're talking about a church that over a million dollars a year in mission support. We're talking about a church that still today is standing and is is going on. And, and I'm saying that to say this is because you're exactly right about Dr. Seitler. He knew that Jesus had to be the centerpiece of that ministry. Correct. And because they kept Jesus at the heart of Tabernacle Baptist Church, they went to, after the death of Dr. Seitler in 1995. They, uh, they, uh, they got a second pastor, Dr. Melvin Aiken. And Dr. Aiken retired recently, and now Pastor Joel Logan. Dr. Joel Logan is the pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church. But the emphasis of the church has not changed. It's still about Christ. It's still exalting the Savior. It's preaching the Word of God. 
Uh, those are the things that have kept Tabernacle Baptist Church open, not the personality of Harold B. Seidler. Right. And so, you know, when, in my interaction with Dr. Seidler, I saw a man who knew how to take a stand but still be a gentleman. Right. I saw a man who beat the drum of old-time religion. And I'm talking about exalted old-time religion. Worship, the King James Version of the Bible, the camp meeting spirit. Um, recently, I had an opportunity to sit with, with Dr. Joe Arthur, a friend of ours, friend of our church. And for four hours, he and I sat up late into the night, both of us crying about what we called the hijacking of fundamentalism because uh, Oliver Green, Harold Seitler, Mays Jackson, um, Dr. Bobby Robertson, um, you know, Lee Robertson, what a man of God. Right. And if you took the fundamentalism of today and tried to force that on these men, they would balk at that. Sure. Because they know that the fundamentalism of today is, it doesn't even resemble. It, it, it in no way even resembles the spirit of fundamentalism in 1954 when a man like Dr. Seitler said, this is what I am. Uh, he never intended for fundamentalism to become what it has become today. Correct. And it sort of peaked in the 1990s, the arrogance, the the scandals, the, the hero worship, all that kind of stuff kind of peaked in the 1990s. Um, and instead of it correcting it, instead of us correcting ourselves and trying to get better, uh, we sort of uh, put it on the back burner. And uh, and so instead of the church getting stronger, fundamentalism began to go into a, a radical decline, a very steep drop right. in numbers, in support financially. And today it's only a uh, an echo of what it used to be. That's right. And so we've seen how the flesh has played itself out. In fundamentalism, so the the New Testament Baptist Confession is not about, um, you know, slamming people. It's not about that at all. The New Testament Baptist Confession is in the in the spirit of exactly what you just talked about, uh, bringing the church back to Christ, the center reference point of all of our beliefs. If we don't do that, we're not going to survive. That's true. Um, I remember uh, Dr. Raymond Hancock. Yes. What a sweet man. He loved people. Yes, sir. And he went after the broken. Of course, you know, out in that area, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, it was nothing but dairies. Yes. It was, uh, you know, very narrow road, nothing this but is, dairies. This is less than 10 miles from us right now. Correct. That's exactly yeah. right. And he, he uh, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the people right now, some of the champions, precious Christian people. I'm thinking of uh, S.M.A. Horn, who raised all her children. She was uh, she got saved. She told me one day, she said, Brother Bill, let me tell you how I got saved. I said, well, I'd like to hear that. She said, I was listening to Dr. Seitler on the radio. The Bright Spot Hour. Yes, sir, the Bright Spot Hour. And she said, he, he as he always did, he, he, of course, he preached the gospel, then he would give an invitation at the end of his message and she said I knew that I was lost and I needed to be saved and I didn't need to wait she said so I walked around behind the barn and got alone with God and just called on the Lord the best I knew and asked God to save me forgive me and she said I've never been the same since 
And I think of her. Those are the kind of people that Raymond Hancock went after. Uh, he went, uh, people like uh, Merle Holt and his wife Pansy, they both worked at one of the dairies. No education. They didn't know anything. All they knew was just working in the filth at the dairy. Well, Brother Hancock went over there one day to, to the one dairy there on the corner of Providence and uh, Bloomingdale. It was a very big dairy. And uh, he was talking to some of the men, and he met Merle Holt, and, and he invited Merle to church. Merle came, heard the gospel. Just just a simple country fella, and, and, and the Lord saved him, changed his life. And here's the amazing thing. Because he had such a heart for the Word, and said he had such a compassion for people, just broken people. That's who he went after. And he never took the Bible and beat people over the head. Well, I don't ever remember him doing that. No. But he stayed true, and it broke his heart what he saw going on. In fact, I'll tell you this. He came back years later and, and preached a couple of different times at uh, anniversaries. And I could tell by some of the things he said and just the look on his face that his heart was broken. Yes. What he saw had happened and what he saw was happening. And we're talking about these, these men that, uh, that we're, we're, what we're talking about here in the New Testament Baptist Confession is exactly the way it was then. Absolutely. We're not starting something new. This, this, let's get back to what does the Bible say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, I'll tell you a, a quick story. Um, I might have shared this before. I can't, I can't remember, but a man I was discussing, you know, just being, you know, friendly remarks and, and uh, catching up with an old friend, uh, and I asked him how his church was doing, and he said, "Not well, not well." And um, and so I felt, you know, as a friend, maybe I should inquire a little further, you know, maybe I could help or something. And so when I asked him how things were going, his response was, "People just don't want the truth anymore," uh, which I partly agree with, uh, and uh, but I could tell that this was coming from a little bit of a different slant. And so I said, "Well, brother, uh, you know." Uh, you know what, what's what's the issues? What's what's the problem? What's going on? He said, "Well, I'll just tell you this right here." He said, "Nobody dresses right anymore." Mm-hmm. And so I indulged the conversation and started listening to him a little bit. And he said, "Brother Bailey," he said, "We have a standard in our church." And he said, "The standard is you cannot sing in our choir if you wear pants." Uh, speaking of ladies, and I said, "Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't I don't have a problem with that. I think there should be a platform dress code. You know, I, I don't I wouldn't have a problem with having a professional." Uh, attitude about how people should dress he said no no you don't understand they can't wear pants at all and I said oh really and he said no they can't wear pants at Walmart can't wear pants at home they can't wear pants anywhere period 365 days a year and um, I don't know what came over me I just, I just asked him I said could you do me a favor brother could, could you as my friend could you defend that biblically this goes back to the question thing Right that we were talking about last week, so I asked him the question. I said, "Could could you could you just take the word of God and defend that position for me?" Here's the verse he quoted. He said, "Yeah." He said, uh, "If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me." Hmm. Uh, which infuriated me, and I I asked him over the phone. I said, almost with these exact words, I said, "How dare you try to take that verse?" And defend an unsubstantiated stand, um, and he said, "Well, he said, you know, if you're going to follow Christ, you have to uh, deny yourself." And his whole 
concept there was denying yourself means dressing inconveniently denying yourself means behaving in ways that is you know you're not going to have uh, certain experiences and be able to do certain things uh, that other people do and so that's a gospel verse i mean that here's what that verse actually means it means that if you want to follow me you have to be willing to literally give your life for me it has nothing to do with dress code it has nothing to do with that at all but this is this is an example of how verses are being hijacked terms are being hijacked terms like old time religion and they're beating this drum and saying we're old time we're old time we're old time and i want to look at them and say you're not the old time religion i knew you're not the harold seitler dr venable dr Oliver Green, you're not the Maze Jackson, you're not the Billy Kellys, uh, you're not uh, you're you're not the the men of God that uh, that bore the standard and raised the flag and and uh, and carried the banner that I knew. It's like they uh, they take their hobby horse and they find some verse in Scripture, yeah. whether it's relevant or not, and then they label old time religion over top of it, and they slap it up on their billboard, and they expect everyone else to follow yeah what they're saying and this is a normal method of preaching among independent fundamental baptists it's normal to preach that way to behave that way um, wow i, I don't yeah. know what else to say about so, it so just, just like another where does, gospel where does this come in how did this happen uh, i mean you talk about men who uh were gentlemen uh, who were kind considerate um were they didn't water down the truth they also didn't try to kill somebody in the process of delivering it. Um, but it, it's one from these men who, though I never met them, um, they were probably all uh, passed away by the time I was born, but I never met them. But from what I hear, they just truly had a hunger and a thirst for God's Word, and they wanted people to have that same relationship with Christ that they had. That's right. To now... Uh, it seems more like we're trying to build a kingdom down here. Yeah. Uh, a, a pastor's just worried about his congregation and building his congregation, which is so dangerous because, like you said, um, what happens is when that pastor goes off the scene, that church that was only built for that pastor disintegrates. That's right. It closes the if door. If it is so centered around the personality and the control of that pastor when that pastor dies they're in huge trouble right and that's why when dr seitler died tabernacle went on Mm -hmm. they had their ups they had their downs but tabernacle today is still a bastion of fundamentalism and a a a powerhouse church because dr seitler left the legacy of christ intact and showcased jesus instead of uh instead of it all being about harold b seitler and harold harold seitler was quite a man a brilliant man, a man of great intellect, a lettered man. You know, he had a letters and laws doctorate from Furman University. He, I mean, he Harold Seitler was no, he was no cupcake, uh, but he knew that you cannot let that eclipse the work of Christ if you want your church to grow and flourish and really become fulfilling to the people who need it most. And well, talking about that, when you first got here, Faith Baptist Church was on life support. Yeah, we we were going to go under. Um, well, you came in with the Word of God, and yep. you you helped bring us to where 
the cross was. Yeah. You helped bring us to the foot of the cross where we should have been and not following after our former pastor. Right. Uh, I mean, not idolizing him. Yeah. And it's not just, trust me, it's not just one church. Uh, it seems nowadays almost every church, once the pastor goes off the scene, whether he leaves them in a bad condition or I, you rarely hear of pastors inheriting a church in a good situation. Right. That's very rare to hear of. Especially church. among independent Baptists. Most young preachers that are going out in the field today looking for a church to take are having to take a church that has been wounded and gutted and nearly destroyed by an egomaniac or some kind of a, a scandal in ministry. And they're having to go in behind those guys and try to take the wheel and get it back in the middle of the road. And sometimes it, it just doesn't work for them. Uh, because the damage is so damaging, it's so deep that uh, they can't get it back to where it needs to be. You know, Brother Thompson and I, we've had conversations about, uh, you know, we, we pray often for churches that are in our area here. And he and I are, are keeping our eye on some churches and saying, you know, what in the world is going to happen when that pastor dies? What in the world is, is that church going to do when they no longer have this person? And, uh, and look, there should be a, a certain amount of confidence in a pastor. Uh, but when that pastor's presence, uh, Warren Wiersbe, who I was just listening to a recording this morning, Warren, Warren Wiersbe uh, stood up in front of his church one Sunday and he said, look, I'm, I'm no, he went to uh, some friends in the church, some close friends, and he said, I'm going to be resigning the church this month. And they said, Dr. Wiersbe, you can't do that. If you do that, what are we going to do? How, how in the world can we function? And he said, that was confirmation that it had to be done because he said those people's eyes had gotten so locked in on Dr. Warren Wearsby that Jesus was not even factoring in. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I have to go, as John the Baptist said, I must what decrease so that he can increase. That was the way Bobby Robertson believed. Mm-hmm. That's the way Harold Seitler believed. That's the way Maze Jackson, W.A. Criswell uh, Adrian Rogers, brilliant men. These men could have outshined all of us, but they knew that they had to live in the shadows of the testimony of Jesus Christ if their ministries were going to be in any way, in any way consistent. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of three churches in our area: ours, one right down the road, uh, and then the one our uh, sister church out in uh, Tampa, off Hillsboro. Mm-hmm. Those three churches, all three of them. The pastor financially abused the church, yeah. and then just left the church for uh, for ruin, yeah. uh, to say the least. And uh, the one in uh, in Tampa, he's got eight million dollars in debt. The church does. Uh, the church went from having five, four to five hundred. The pastor built an auditorium to seat almost two thousand people, to now on Sundays averaging two to three hundred, including kids. Yeah. Um, the school, which was booming is now, just now, recovering and getting back to where it used to be. Uh, this church, which I, I have no clue what it was before, uh, but when I came here, it was much smaller than yes. what it used to be. Um, and then the church down the road, um, they were a huge church. They were booming. You would see it on Facebook, encouraging, 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 and then come to figure out, months later after the wake, the pastor left them in a terrible yeah. financial situation. Yeah. And the condition of our church today, I want to make it clear, the condition of our church today is much healthier than it used to be, but it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the nourishment of God's Word. And if right. you put God's Word on the table, that. if you keep consistently putting the Word of God in front of God's people, 
sheep love sheep food and they're going to eat that they're going to grow they're going to get healthier it's going to become an antiseptic it's going to become uh, nourishment it's going to become a vitamin which not only you know vitamins don't create health i mean they just keep you from getting sick and so that's the way you create a healthy church you showcase the word of god but in independent fundamental baptist churches the focus is removed from the bible and placed upon a human personality mm-hmm. red flag red yeah. flag that's a that's a fundamental problem and if that continues they won't survive yeah but i think that is the big difference between us um, and what we're trying to do and what has been happening. Because I do believe uh, that if you were to go off the scene, would it be hard for the church? Well, of course. And it should uh, some, be. Yeah, if something happened to your leader, it should carry yeah, some I mean, emotional weight with it. it I've, heard be people, I've heard people say, don't cry at my funeral. Well, I hope somebody cries at my funeral. <laughs> I, I hope somebody's crying. But I, I, and I understand where they're coming from. There should be a transitional trauma that takes place. But ultimately, when Christ has been exalted in a church and a pastor dies, then... The church should be able to function. Yeah, and they won't feel headless. Mm. I think that's the big key. I I remember E.L. Lawson was my pastor before um, where the pastor is now, and the church still continued. Everybody loved him, and there was a lot of cries for him, but um, the the church still continued to function and keep going. I think that's the way it has to be. He was such a sacrificial man. He put he put the needs of the church ahead of his own needs. And I knew Brother Lawson personally for many years, and uh, uh, an incredible man. He's another grandfather to me. Yeah. And we, we talk about old-time religion. I know we have to close here in a second. But if we go back to the early church, the venerable bishop of uh, Smyrna, Polycarp. Yeah. The church was under persecution. Polycarp is in jail he's fixing to be uh, executed and we all y'all can search the the history later but that church the church of smyrna which is actually in uh, revelation it's mentioned in the seven churches that church went on to thrive and you can even trace their history down through today and i I don't think the original church is standing but churches in that area yes sir can trace their roots that, back that to the product of that church at Smyrna. right and they're standing on the shoulders of polycarp and that's where we are the new testament baptist confession is not some radical movement that is uh that we're all trying to you know throw our our, our opinions around we're standing on the shoulders of some great men and we're trying to say to the world it is time to stop the foolishness of independent fundamental baptists stop the evolution and go back to what really matters. And that was what Dr. Seitler believed, what Mays Jackson believed, what uh, uh, Dr. Tom Malone, you remember that name, Brother Thompson, yes, Dr. Lee Robertson. Uh, you know, these are great men. We have to go back. The, the movement has been hijacked. Yeah, right. And we got to write the ship. Uh, once again, guys, uh, to remind you, if you have any questions, feel free to email those to us. Uh, we may not get to it in the very next podcast that we do. Uh, but we'll be sure uh, to set aside time to uh, answer all questions uh, that are asked, whether it's over the podcast or maybe by email. Uh, that email is info at New Testament Baptist with an S dot com. Once again, that's info at New Testament Baptist dot com. Uh, thank you for tuning in again to another episode of Cherishing Scripture podcast, a podcast where we are changing society by cherishing scripture.